we will pick up in John chapter 8, verse 12. And I invite you this morning, if you're able, to stand with me as we reverence God's Word together as we read verses 12 through 30. The Bible says again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. You may be seated. We see a shift begin to take place. And you'll, you'll notice as you go on through John that while Jesus has been interacting with the crowds... He's been teaching them and talking to them. Now his focus turns and he begins to have interactions with the religious leaders who are confronting him and who ultimately want him to die. There's a sense of urgency that begins to take place. And as this morning we are celebrating Palm Sunday, the, the Sunday when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. When, when the people lined the streets and they were excited and they were shouting, Hosanna, 
We've come to that Sunday on our calendar, and Jesus is rapidly approaching that Sunday here in John's Gospel. The time is short, and there's an urgency. There's an urgency about his message. We've seen this escalation that began to happen very rapidly after Jesus fed the 5,000. That, that his message is taking this serious tone. He is diving deeper into the things that he is teaching about God. We're finding that, that some are receiving what he is teaching and, and others are rejecting what he is teaching. But the time is urgent. In life, there are times that become very urgent for us. Situations, emergencies that happen where, where we must plan quickly, we must make decisions quickly in order for the outcome to be what we want. A first responder does this when they, they show up on the scene and they begin to evaluate what is happening. Who, who is hurt? Who can I help? Who needs treatment the quickest? In the 50s, there was a man who observed this and he, he began to think through what, what it meant when, when we come upon an emergency, when we come upon a, a situation where a decision must be made quickly, what, what happens? What do, we, what do we do? What do we evaluate? He believed that, that everything happens on this loop where we first observe what is happening and then we orient ourselves to what is happening and what needs to be done and then we decide what we're going to do and then we act upon it. And then once we act upon it, we're again observing and orienting ourselves to it again and making decisions and acting and, and things must happen quickly. And this is obviously true when things are urgent. We must make a decision. We must see what is happening. We must understand what is going on. We must decide to do something and then act. Well, friends, we live in an urgent day. Time is short. Whether Christ returns or whether we leave this world to be with Him, time is short. And life is urgent. And we must make a decision. Are we going to follow after the things of this world, which cannot save us and cannot help us, or are we going to follow the one who God sent for us? We're observing what is happening in the world. We see the heartache, we see the pain, we understand, again, the frailty of our own lives and the lives of the people around us. So we know that time is short, so it is time to make a decision. And we must decide. We must decide between following Jesus or following something else. So this morning, as we look at this passage, Jesus is presenting his side against religious leaders who are presenting their own side, Jesus presenting the side of God and the truth of His Word, and the other side, the Pharisees presenting 
really a presentation that has been created by the world. As we look at these, these contrasts, we must make a decision. What are we going to do with the information that we have observed from God? Are we going to act? This morning, there are six of them that we'll observe quickly as we go through this passage. Six contrasts between Jesus and every other way. Six contrasts between Jesus and every other way. We begin in verse 12. We're at the, the end of the festival. Remember, if we go back into chapter 7, the festival was going on, this festival of booths, and part of that festival was light. And by the end of the festival, the lights would go out. The lights in the temple would go out. The, the lights that had been lit as they celebrated this feast, as, as everyone had come, all of the pilgrims had come to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast, those lights would have dimmed. And it's within that context that Jesus stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. I am the light. I am the light, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We have an immediate contrast that is taking place. Jesus is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. And Jesus' light, the light that he gives, brings about life. Jesus is light. And every other way, the way that the Pharisees are walking, the way that our world walks today, every other way is darkness. One commentator wrote that the, the darkness of the Pharisees provided the perfect backdrop to the light of Jesus. See, our world would have you to believe that, that here's Jesus and he is, he is a light, but, but if, if it was this room, there would be all kinds of other lights in this room. And, and you could go and use any of those lights, find any of those lights, and, and they would all provide you with something. And some of them would be very bright, and, and some of them might be more dim, but, but there would be a multitude of lights if this room was our existence. And we could go and we could choose any of those lights. But the reality is there is one light and everything else is infinitely dark. Everything else provides no light. That's why Jesus was so despised by these religious leaders. Because if, if He, if we go back to this, this room being our existence, if, if everything is dark, including these religious leaders, and again, including all the things that the world tells us we need and all the things the world tells us will give us hope, when, when we come to the middle of our room and, and there is Jesus, friends, even if He is not shining brightly in our life, in a room that is dark, the least little bit of light covers the entire room. 
Trust me, if it was pitch black in here right now and we lit even the smallest candle in the middle, we would all be able to see the light. That is what Jesus does. That is the contrast that is taking place. And it's what we must understand and then decide to act upon. Are we trying to go and find things that aren't really light, that do not give us life and and cause them somehow to give us light? Are we grasping onto things that are full of utter darkness and will not save us, and yet we want them to be a substitute? When Jesus can stand here boldly and say, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you'll not walk in darkness, but you'll have the light of life. It's something we need to observe this morning. Jesus is light. Everything else is darkness. So what are you holding on to this morning? that you think is giving you life, but it can provide you with nothing but darkness. What aspect of your life, what what thing of this world that the world world has it to offer you, the world is is giving it to you, the the world is saying, you need this, you should be a, a part of this, you should have this, this is so important. And you are grabbing hold of it, expecting that it will give you life and hope and shine something into your life when all it is doing is consuming you with darkness. Friends, that's the contrast. And as urgent as the time is that we live in, why would you hold on to something that cannot give you life? Jesus is light. Everything else is darkness. Second contrast. Jesus bears witness or Jesus tells us about the Father. Everything else doesn't know the Father. Jesus tells us He bears witness about the Father. Everything else doesn't know the Father. Verses 13 and 14, so the Pharisees said to him, you notice they don't dispute what he is saying, but they say, you're, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus told them, if, even if I bear witness about myself, my, my testimony is true because I know where I've come from and where I'm going. In other words, if I tell you about myself, I can do that because I've come from God And I'm bearing witness to God, and you're not. Jesus' entire purpose is to tell us about God. His entire purpose is to tell us about His heavenly Father. That's what He does. That's who He is. He bears witness to the Father from the beginning of His ministry until the end of His ministry. He is always bearing witness. He is always pointing toward the Father. This is what my Father has said. This is what my Father has for you. This is my Father's plan for you. This is my Father's plan for me. This is what my Father is doing. This is how my Father is working. Jesus does all of those things. That's who He is. That's His goal. 
That's his purpose. Everything else cannot point us toward the Father because everything else does not know the Father. Anything else that we, we attempt in this life, anything else that we try to do in this life that we think is going, to, is going to help us, that we think is going to lead us and guide us, friends, it can't because it doesn't know the Father. When we listen to the world and the world tries to tell us about God, how, how can the world tell us about God? The world doesn't know the Father. When we pick up these self-help books and we begin to read them, they, they can't tell us how to get to God. Why? Because they don't know God. The one I love recently is that celebrities have decided to begin telling the church about God. Isn't that intriguing? These celebrities who are pagan people, they do not know God at all. They do not follow Him, and they've never claimed to until all of a sudden they come around and they say, oh, by the way, church, this is what you need to know about God. And this is who God is. And it's odd because it's the God they've created in their mind, and it's not the God that we find in the Scriptures. But, but they've decided this is what God has to say to you, church, and this is what you should be doing because this is what we think is right. It's, it's interesting that it, it lines up exactly with the political correct culture of 2019. It's amazing that God has reinvented himself for us in this new age. But what's heartbreaking is He's not talking to the foulest pagans. He's talking to the religious leaders of God's people. And the religious leaders of God's people have ignored God. The religious leaders of God's people have ignored and rejected God. And so now he's having to remind them that he is there, is the Son of God, witnessing about the Father, and everyone else, everything else, everything that is far from God cannot tell you about God. Friends, you should be cautious with this in who you listen to and what you listen to when you're trying to understand God. Rock stars and movie stars, and we have entire celebrities now that I'm not even sure what they're famous for, are probably not your best choice to understand God. I would even go as far to say that there are plenty of people who are celebrities and call themselves Christians who aren't good for you to go and understand about God. Friends, go back to God's Word. Find people who are faithful to God's word and listen to them about God. Not things you read on social media that sound pithy or, or maybe even are, are somewhat encouraging. Because if you dig in, it may be that they don't know God at all. And they're just telling you something that they want you to hear so that you understand God the way they do. These religious leaders did not know God they were far from him. There are going to be consequences for that that we'll see as we go through this passage for them because they are far from God. 
We listen to Christ because Christ is the image of God. A third contrast. We've seen that Jesus is light and that he bears witness about the Father. Now we see that he judges in truth. And everyone else and everything else judges in the flesh. Look at verse 16, or sorry, 15. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. I think it would be appropriate to understand this. I judge no one in that way. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. I, I don't judge the same way you do. How amazing it is that we live in a time when we're told you're not supposed to judge people. Although we judge people all the time. If you have a relationship with anyone, it's because you've judged them in some way. I've met plenty of people who I judged I did not want to be friends with them. So guess what? I'm not friends with them. And I've met other people who I was like, hey, I like this person. I've judged that they would be a good friend. I want to be friends with them. Now, some of them have judged me and said, no, that's not going to happen. But if you have said, yes, that would be a good decision for both of us, we can be friends. We have judged them in that way. You judge people when you hire them. You judge people based on the quality of the food at their restaurant. You judge people. But here, the, the Pharisees are basing their opinion of Jesus not on judgment of truth, not on judgment of God's Word, but judgment on their own opinion based on the flesh. Their opinion that they have come to about Jesus, that he's, that he's this terrible person, that he needs to be put to death, has come about because of the flesh. Why? Because they're unable to judge in the truth because they do not know God. They can only judge with the flesh. They can only make their decisions. They can only draw their opinions from the flesh. Now think about that. That, again, sounds very familiar to our own day and our own context, does it not? We, we live in a time when everyone is told to do what feels right to them. Do what they think is right. The Bible would describe it this way, that, that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's not talking about a time of prosperity in the history of God's people. It's talking about a time of great despair. When, in fact, God would send judges to correct the people because they did what was right in their own eyes. But we live in that time, right? Where we encourage people to do what is right in their own eyes. It doesn't matter what God has said. It doesn't matter what is right or wrong. It doesn't matter what is moral or not. Do what is right. Do what makes you feel good. Do what you want to do. And friends, that sounds really great to a world that is far from God. It sounds really great to a world far from God when you say, do, do whatever you want. Do whatever feels right. But the great despair of that is that, that anyone who has a relationship with God is left to try to help and pick up the pieces of lives that have done whatever they thought was right. 
Have you ever noticed that? That, that governments and culture tell people, you know, go do whatever you want. Go, go, go do whatever makes you feel good. But when that doesn't work out, which it doesn't, it never has and it never will, it's often God's people who are left to try to help people pull their lives back together that have been destroyed because they were told to go do whatever they want. Friends, Jesus, when He judges, when He makes decisions, when He makes pronouncements, He does so based on the truth of God's Word. They base, the Pharisees in this case, they're basing their opinion on the flesh. Our world is basing its opinion on the flesh. Whatever our desires are, that the world says, go for it, go do it. There, there are no limits, there are no parameters, everything is okay. Friends, that's not how God has designed us. That's not how God has, has created us. And in fact, because they decide they're going to do that, he will tell them later that they're going to die in their sin because they have decided to judge by the flesh instead of judging by the truth. They're going to be far from God. They're going to be isolated from God. They're not going to have a relationship with God because they have decided not to believe Christ and not to believe and follow truth, but because they have decided they will do whatever they want, no matter the consequences, even if that consequence is death. Friends, Jesus judges in truth, and in this urgent time in which we live, we've got to make a decision. Are we going to go along with everything the world is telling us we need to go along with and do and follow? Or are we going to follow the truth of Christ? Because friends, the road where we follow our own way has no hope. It has no life. It has no peace. There is no future. There's only separation from God. But in Christ, there is hope. There is truth. There is peace. There's a promise, but it's only by following Him. In this urgent time in which we live, we must make a decision. Fourth, verse 21 through 25, we, we see that Jesus comes from above. The Pharisees and everyone else come from below. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. And then the Jews, these religious leaders, they, they make this snide remark. You know, they've made the assumption, right, that, that they're going to go to heaven, that they're going to be with God, that they're followers of God. So when he says, I'm going somewhere where you can't come, he's they say, are you going to kill yourself? Will he kill himself? Where I'm going, you cannot come, he says. In other words, we know where we're going. We're good. So if he's not going to be where we're going, must be something wrong with him. He must really be the one in sin. 
Here they're taunting Jesus. They're, we don't see this in, our, you know, in, in the English version of this, but they're, they're being ugly. They're being rude to Jesus about the things that he has said. It's because there's a contrast there, and they can't stand that contrast. Jesus is from above. In other words, he has come from the Father, and he is going to go back to the Father. But they are from below. And I think we can understand that in, in both ways. In, in other words, they're from below, as we just saw in the last passage. They're thinking earthly, flesh, you know, fleshly things. They're, they're thinking worldly ways. But also, we need to understand that, that these people at this time that are making these comments are being... They're being influenced by Satan himself to stand in opposition to Jesus. They have a different origin. His origin is the Father. Their origin is the flesh and sin and death. This contrast is taking place. You know, it's amazing he's come back to this and he will continue to come back to this idea that he is leaving. Again, time is short. It is urgent. A decision must be made. And he would say to them here, you cannot go where I am going. You will die in your sin. But later on in John's gospel, he will tell them, I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, you may be also. You see the contrast? The one who follows Christ, the one who makes the decision, they're going to follow Jesus. For them, Jesus is going to prepare a place. He is going to welcome them to himself. They are going to be with his heavenly Father. But for those who reject him, for those who embrace the world, they can't be where he is. They're going to die in their sin. They're going to be separated from God. For, for the one who, who has rejected Jesus, there is no hope. There is no hope at all. And he makes that clear in this contrast. He is from above. They are not. And yet, what do we do? Because of the sin in our heart, we are so prone to grabbing on to the things of here and the things of now and not the things of above. We are concerned about what is ahead, but only in this life and not in the life to come. We are, we are concerned about what we can accumulate and have for ourselves here, but not in the things that are ahead. Jesus is from above. The Pharisees, the world, our sin is from below. Fifth, Jesus is at work in God's time. Everything else uses its own time. Jesus works in God's time. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, our world today works in its own time. Look at verse 20. We've, we've come back to this several times. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Jesus continues to work in his own time. Now, going down to verse 26, he says, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare the world what I have heard from him. 
You know what he's saying here? He is, he is rebutting what they have said before. He is telling them, you're saying to me that I'm going to go kill myself. You're saying to me that I'm far from God. You're saying to me that I don't know the Father. But here's the reality. There are so many things I could say about you. There is much judgment that I can and will pass on you one day. But today, today the Father has sent me to share truth. Today is not a day of judgment. They should be happy about that, shouldn't they? They didn't realize it at the time. But, but imagine if God judged immediately whenever we sin. Imagine if God judged immediately whenever we disobey Him. How would we be able to endure His judgment? We wouldn't. I mean, we would be crushed under it. But he waits. We use the term before forbearance. He, he is holding that judgment back. And even th- as they make these comments that are worthy of God's judgment, he does not send down his judgment, but rather he declares to the world what he has heard from God. He is at work in God's time. His purpose is God's purpose. Jesus came for a specific reason. He came to die in our place. He came to give us life and hope and a relationship with the Father. He came to do those things. But He will come again. And when He does come again, He will come in judgment. The image in Revelation of of Christ and the sword coming out of His mouth. this, This weapon of offense. The weapon of His word against those who have stood against God. He will come in judgment, but He will come in God's time. One day the Father will say, go, it is time. He will send Christ to return again. Christ will call His people home. He will judge the nations. He will rule and reign over them. Christ will return in God's time. And that is how Jesus works. But the Pharisees, they work on their own time. They're constantly seeking to kill Jesus. They're constantly seeking to interrupt his ministry. Friends, our world works exactly like that too, correct? The world works on its own time. It does its own thing. It puts the priorities up that it thinks are important. I think about how sad the secular life must be. Because this is the secular life. You, you are born, if you're fortunate enough to escape you know, being murdered before you're born. You live a life that has no meaning outside of a short span of time. You die and you're forgotten. That's the secular life. You can't make it any more than that. You can try to make great achievements in human history and all this, but listen, secular science says that one day we're all going to be destroyed anyway. Something will destroy the earth. It has to. It might take millions or billions of years, but everything's going to be wiped out. You know, if all this climate change happens, we're going to snuff ourselves out anyways because we're going to flood the earth or we're not going to be able to breathe the oxygen or something. So we're, it's pointless. Friends, that's secular time. That's the time that the secular mind has come up with that we 
are born, we live a life. Many people in the world live a life of struggle. For the, in most of human history, most people were born. They never had anything. They struggled to stay alive, and they died at a young age. It's a powerful religion to follow. Because they work in their own time. And so you have things that happen in the world and they have no meaning or purpose or we blame them again on, on some outside force that we have no control over, Mother Nature or whatever it is. We have no good definition of evil. How do we call anything evil when there is no God and a moral standard? And yet that's the time that they work in. And you wonder why people around us are so hopeless. You wonder why there's a drug epidemic in our country. People got no hope. So you take these pills, and these pills help you get through the day, which helps you get through the week, which helps you get through your life. And you can die. And it doesn't matter. Friends, that's the hopelessness of the world's time. But Jesus is at work in God's time. And he knows what he is doing. And he knows even here that he is working his way toward the cross where he will give his life for us. A sixth and final contrast we see in verses 28 through 30 that, that Jesus works under God's authority. The Pharisees and everyone else have no authority. Jesus works under God's authority. Everything else has no authority. Verse 28, so Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. It's interesting. He says here, when you lift up the Son of Man. He, he's, he's showing that they are complicit in what is going to happen. So even when you work in your own time, at least you think, and you lift me up. In other words, when you put the Son of Man on the cross, when you put Jesus on the cross, religious authorities, guess what will happen? That will demonstrate my authority. When you think you're working in your own time, it will demonstrate my authority. He says, I don't work in my own authority, but I speak as the Father has taught me. In other words, I speak on the authority of the Father. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the thing that is pleasing to him. Jesus works in God's authority. Everything else has no authority. Now think about this. Think about the implications of what I'm saying. I want you to make sure that you understand what I'm saying. I'm saying that in the end, nothing but God has authority. Our government has no authority except what it's been granted by Christ. And we submit to that authority. Why? Because they have it? Because they have more guns? Because they have police officers that can come and arrest you? No, because God has given them that authority. And as a Christian, you recognize that that authority has been given by God. And guess what? He can take that away. And he can do so for any reason and he can do so at any moment. 
It also means, and this is probably more relevant since none of you that I'm aware of are in Congress, it means you have no authority. The authority over your life rests in heaven. Now you can do one of two things with that. You can be angry about it and let's see, you getting angry about it will do nothing. So your decision. Or you can embrace and welcome and be joyful that instead of you having to figure your life out and you having to sustain yourself and keep yourself going and and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and all of those things, you can realize that, that God holds your life. That He holds your life and sustains your life in His hands. And that when you are His, He holds your life in His hands forever. He may hold it in a different place. He may take your life and transfer it from here on this earth to His presence in glory. But He holds your life throughout. He holds your life. And nothing can take it out of His authority. So friends, when we follow these so-called authorities of life and we are getting more and more ridiculous in the ones that we listen to, friends, social media stars should have no authority in your life. If they do, you have a problem. Country music singers should not be an authority in your life. Okay? Not worthy authorities. Professional athletes... Love them, love to watch them, not authorities in my life. Don't care what they think about my life and how I live it and politics and religion or anything. Could care less. The authority in our life is Christ. Friends, do not miss that. Do not lose it. So there are these contrasts between Jesus and everything else. And friends, time is short. The day is urgent. What are we going to do with it? Are you going to follow Christ? Are you going to embrace His cross and the love that He has for you? Or are you going to continue to follow these authorities that make their decisions based on the world and have no control? Friends, that decision lies at your feet. Will you follow Christ? Who is already in control? Or will you follow your own way? you don't know Christ this morning, friends, you're you're doing it your own way. And and Jesus says here that if you don't believe, if you don't follow Him, then you'll die in your sin. But He calls you to grace and hope, and He offers you that peace. He, He does so because He has sent His Son to die on the cross for you. Will you follow Him? Will you observe the contrast between light and darkness? Orient yourself to understand the light, to to understand God's goodness, to see it, to decide to follow Him, to act upon following Christ. Will you do that this morning if you've never done so before? If you've never followed Him, would you follow Him this morning for the first time? When we we get to the end of our service, I I would love to tell you how to do that, how you can follow Him and, and know Him. But friends, if you know Christ... 
you're observing what is happening in the world, is your orientation to come back to Christ and what He has said? Or does the world catch your eye and you see yourself reaching out and following? Friends, friends, turn your eyes back to Christ. Turn your eyes upon Him and follow Him with all that you are. Make the decision, I'm going to follow Christ. Even as the old hymn says, none go with me, I will follow Him. There's a contrast between light and darkness. And time is short. We must decide to follow the light. We bow your heads with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace you've given us in Christ, that, that you sent him to be a light into the world when we were surrounded by darkness. Our, our hope and prayer is that, that we would follow him faithfully. God, that you would work in our heart. God, that you would do a mighty work. God, that, that we can't take credit for. And that God, you, God, you would be glorified through us. God, for those here this morning who don't know you, I pray that, that they would come and, and follow you. God, for, for those of us who know you, God, I pray that you would be our pursuit. That, that nothing else would matter. That nothing would come in between you and us. That we would follow you fully. God, help us to see the contrast between light and darkness. And God, help us to walk in the light. Thank you for who you are and all that you're doing. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you to stand with me as we sing this final song. I, I just pray that you would respond to God's word. Whether you need to walk in the light for the first time, you've never followed Christ, today is the day to do so. Or maybe you followed him, but your eyes keep turning back toward the darkness. Pray that he would keep you in the light. Cry out before him, God, God, I want to walk in the light because I have life from you. Respond to God's word this morning as we sing this song together.